you know, we have four Gospels. But few people realize that in the first few centuries of Christianity, there were way more than four Gospels. There was the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Peter, the Gospel of even Mary. It doesn't mean that Thomas, Peter, and Mary wrote them. That was just the title given. But who determined that the four Gospels, and only those four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were to be put into the Bible, which even non-Catholics, all Christians, accept? It was the Catholic Church. It wasn't for couple hundred years after Jesus' own death before those four Gospels were determined and our Bible of today was canonized. And of those four Gospel writers, each is a little different in their way. Now, Matthew was a focus, you know, the symbols, remember the symbols of the Gospel writers? The symbol for Matthew is usually a man, because he, he talks about the humanity of Jesus. Uh, Luke was an ox. Mark is a lion. But why is John always symbolized by an eagle? Well, because his gospel, the first three we call synoptic gospels, they're kind of very similar, focusing on the words and deeds of Jesus in, in an actual sense. But John is referred to kind of or shown as an eagle because he soars so much higher above all the others. And I remember trying to, in seminary, grasp John, and it just seemed it was so difficult. Well, today we're reading from John, and this one is not very difficult. This one's actually very easy. So that reputation of John always being so far above the others, um, and it sometimes does apply, but here I think you have a very simple, simple gospel. What is the message here? It's Catholic, just like the Catholic Church that determined the gospel of John was inspired. What does Jesus focus on here? Good works. Now, those good works are not going to get us to heaven. God's grace gets us to heaven. But we must cooperate with that grace. And that cooperation is best exhibited in works of mercy. This is what Jesus is talking about. I've been doing good works, works of mercy. Why do you want to kill me? And so what do we see here? Now, the Jews, this is, okay, to the Jews... Jesus' statement that he and the Father are one, this is the problem. Now, this is blasphemy. So the Jews expected a Messiah to be this conquering hero, overthrow Rome. They didn't expect somebody sharing in God's divinity. This was a shock. This was blasphemy because he put his equal, himself equal to God. So many were scandalized by this claim of equality with God. Where does it come from? I always wondered this. And in seminary, we learned it actually is in the Old Testament. It comes from Leviticus. Leviticus 24, 16 says, quote, he who blasphemes the name of the Lord, because that's what they accuse Jesus of doing, shall be put to death and all the congregation shall stone him. This is why they were getting ready to stone Jesus. I always wondered that. I'm like, when I was in high school singing religion class, I'm like, I remember asking Father Bill in grade school, I had Sister Dorothy, 
And I remember in, grade, in high school asking Father Bill, what the heck did this guy do so wrong? And Father Bill tried to explain it to me. I just, I didn't, I didn't grasp it then. I've definitely been a work in progress for the poor Lord trying to <laughs> lead me along the way of, of, of my faith journey. But it makes sense because this is the way, this was in the Jewish law. And so they made their preparations to stone Jesus because he's now blasphemy. This is an amazing scene here going on. This is the opening of the reason why Jesus was going to be killed. Did you pick that up? This is the turning point, a turning point in Jesus's ministry, because now he's claiming equality with God. Now they say you are a blasphemer, a blasphemer, and now we got to put you to death according to Leviticus 24. So they're standing there with stones. They're ready to kill him, right? And so he tells them that he had spent all those days. And what does he point to? He doesn't say all my time in prayer. He doesn't point to the fact that, that he's, you know, uh, this or that. He points to his works of mercy. This is what Jesus points to, that he's been doing good works of mercy, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, which were all helpful deeds, full of beauty, full of mercy. These obviously come from God. This is why Catholics stress the works of mercy. And so Jesus said, for which of these do you want to kill me? And their answer basically was not for any of those things. We don't even care about those. Your claim is you're making yourself equal to God. So now Jesus defends his claim in a way that they could understand. He goes back to the law. So they want to kill him by the law. So Jesus goes back to the law himself, kind of like Satan. Remember Satan in the desert starts quoting scripture to Jesus and then Jesus turns scripture right around on him. So he cites Psalm 82. This is what Jesus did. A text that uses the word God with a small g, G-O-D, small g, of those who are not God with a capital G, our God, but whom God gives authority to. Now it made me, as I, I'm sitting there in seminary thinking, Gee, I never want to be, you know, meeting our Lord and him saying, you're one of those small G's, you know, that you, I gave you authority as a priest and you're dropping the ball. And so this is the whole meaning. In verse six of Psalm 82, Israel's rulers and judges were called gods. Isn't that something? With a small G. This was because they had the authority to make decisions on God's behalf. Sounds like a Catholic priest. Yes, it does. They even had to be fair in the same way God was fair. Mercy. This is why Jesus is bringing up mercy. So they were called gods with a small g, because God had chosen them to do his work on earth, just like our priests and bishops today. But here's the problem. Just like the Pharisees, our priests and bishops are dropping the ball. I mean, I drop a million balls a day. But the one thing I can say, and this is my prayer to the Lord every day. Okay, Lord, I made this mistake. I said the stupid thing. I did the stupid thing. But the one thing you know I'm trying to do is teach the truth with love now we've got bishops, schismatic, 
ah, what's going on in Germany? Pray. And we got bishops here in the United States. We got bishops having to call out other bishops. We got one bishop that was just promoted from California to a cardinal that's seen the most absurd things you can ever imagine. And this is not just a bishop, a cardinal. And it took another bishop, God bless him, to call him out. Bishop Paprocki calls him out. God bless him. Bishop Strickland, these are, the, these are the shepherds of the church calling out several other bishops, calling them out. And so we have within our own ranks these small G gods that the capital G God put in authority with God's authority, the bishops of Germany, and they're rewriting the truth. Well, they can't, but they're trying. We've got priests. We got priests teaching that sodomy is okay. We got priests talking about agendas and indoctrination is okay. This is who Jesus is pointing at. Now, am I sitting up here self-righteously saying I don't make mistakes? I make a million mistakes. But about the only thing I can say in my own defense is it has nothing to do with the truth. I will die for the truth. I make every other mistake you can imagine, but I will at least never waver from the truth, the teachings of the Catholic Church. If every priest and bishop does this, we will start to see a change. But instead, our priests and bishops are a lot like these Pharisees, small g, that had the authority of God and dropped the ball. Does that mean we always criticize them and condemn them? Pray for them. Pray for them. And me too. I drop the ball all the time with impatience or, or, or you know, for missing something, sins of omission all the time. I jump to conclusions. These are all part of our broken human nature. I get frustrated. I complain sometimes. I, I got a list a mile long of faults. But again, the one thing is the truth, at least Lord, you know, I hold to the truth. Please have mercy on me. And I think that's why God has. I think that's why God has been so patient and merciful with me despite all my faults. Is because at least he knows that. And in, in our other priests and bishops, if we stick to the truth, if we stick to the truth and defend the teachings of Christ in this gospel, de de defending the dignity of human life, the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman, preserving religious liberty, if we do these things, then we'll see God's mercy upon us. Now, the priests today, they have the authority, but it's up to them what they do with it. Our bishops, our cardinals. Remember Jesus said somewhere else in the gospel, I didn't look up the passage, talking about the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees and the uh, scribes and the Sadducees. You remember what he said? Do as they say, not as they do. I think that applies more to me because what I say is the truth. What I teach is Catholic teaching, but you might see me get a little frustrated. Or you might see me get a little impatient. Okay, don't do what Father Chris does. Just do what he says. And this is what Jesus says in the gospel. But pray for our priests, especially me, that we can become more Christ-like. This is the key.
Jesus was doing God's work, but instead he did it perfectly. We strive to do it, albeit imperfectly. Jesus was much greater than any of Israel's rulers at all or judges. He even says he was God's own son and God himself had sent him to earth. Basically, he is God. So today the priest is in persona Christi. The priest is not God. The Holy Father, I get these letters all the time. You think the Pope is God. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. But the priest is in persona Christi. He's the representative of Christ. So pray in his brokenness, his sinfulness, in all his faults, he can become more Christ-like, starting with the truth. If you don't have the truth, nothing else is going to matter. If you don't have love, nothing else is going to matter. We must have truth. We must have love. So basically, to finish, Jesus is saying, if God gives these unjust judges and rulers of Israel the title of God's, G, small g, because of their office, why do you consider it blasphemy that I call myself the Son of God in light of my testimony and my good works? You know, Protestant non-Catholics often uh, deny the power of good works, but we can use Jesus's argument here. Jesus is defending the need for works of mercy. This is good works. We're not talking about works of the law, washing your hands a certain number of times. He is saying deeds are always more powerful than words. I can tell you all day long I love you, but when the chips are down, I point to my own father. For years, my dad never heard him tell my mom he loved her. For years, I grew up as a kid starting to wonder, does my dad really truly love my mother? Because I didn't hear him say it. Well, let me tell you what's more powerful than those words is what my dad is doing today. My dad dedicates 24 hours a day to taking care of her. He's up at two in the morning changing her. He's up at three in the morning cleaning her. Her sugar spikes, so he's up at four in the morning feeding her. My dad right now, in my opinion, doesn't have to say a word. It's his actions that shows he loves her. It's what he's doing, and he doesn't do it to impress anybody. Nobody's there. So that is a work of mercy. That's what it means. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats at the end of time, Jesus will separate on his right and his left, the sheep and the goats. And he will say to those on his right, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was hungry, you gave me food, thirsty drink. In prison, you, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Welcome into the kingdom of your father and to the others, to the goats. He says, when I was hungry, you did not feed me thirsty, no drink, prison, no visits, naked, no clothing. Away with you into the eternal fire. Does that sound like works of mercy are optional? No, they are very much necessary. This is important. We see this in divine mercy. Divine mercy is truly the work of God.
And this is what this message is about, how perfect as we prepare for Divine Mercy Sunday. Divine Mercy is important because it's not just love and compassion. Divine Mercy is love put into action. That's why Jesus' left foot is stepping forward in the image. That's why John Paul defined mercy as love in action. Love and compassion in action. Mercy, John Paul said, is love's second name. Why? Because it's a particular mode of love that when love encounters suffering, it takes action to do something about it. That's what I see from my father. When love encounters suffering, the suffering of my mother, he did something about it. He's doing something about it. That's true love. And that's why in our apostolate here at the Marian Fathers, despite all our faults, despite our brokenness, despite our areas that we got to improve, we try to put our love for God into action with our neighbors. And we try to spread this message of the truth with love. That's the message. Thank you for being a part of our Marian family. Thank you for being part of our Marian helpers that help be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And that is why Jesus said, for those who spread his mercy, I will personally defend them at the time of his judgment. Brother Mark points that out all the time. I always keep trying to get Brother Mark to accept help. Like, Brother Mark, you can get another brother to get up there and help, and you're doing the filming and the recording. And, and his answer is always the same. Basically, I got all eternity to rest. I want to be able to serve the Lord because our Lord says those who serve and do his mercy, those who work and give his mercy to others, he will defend as his own. This is why we want all of our Marian family to know God's mercy. That's the message here brought by the gospel to John. In fact, all the gospels are gospels of mercy. But I think this one, really focuses on those works of mercy because Jesus said it three times. God bless you. Hello, I'm Father Thaddeus Langton of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, and I'm excited to let you know about my new podcast with Father Timothy Childers called Keeping It Marian. To access the podcast, simply visit divinemercyplus.org or search Keeping It Marian on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on whatever podcast platform you prefer. I want to share with you the riches of the charism of the Marian Fathers, which is the mystery of the Immaculate Conception, how it touches our lives as consecrated priests and religious, and how this mystery can bear fruit in your life, especially by keeping the Word of God and pondering it in our hearts in imitation of our Blessed Mother. I hope you'll join us. Again, it's called Keeping It Marian. Thank you and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org.
Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.